Welcome to episode 42 of the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast. Time flies when you're having fun. My guest is Phil Bonney. Um, if you don't know the name, I promise you, if you follow Bundesliga, you do know the voice. Um, Phil has been the voice of the Bundesliga, the commentator par excellence uh, for the last some 20 years. And um, yeah, definitely anybody who watches games will have heard his voice, but you probably don't know a lot about Phil. Um, what I can tell you uh, for up, as they say, before going, getting into talking to Phil is that he is a Southampton FC fan uh, and a Southampton raised person uh, who studied in London, not very far from where I used to live, but we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, and uh, seems to be a, an extremely nice man. So thank you so much, Phil, for being our first guest of 2022. How are you? I'm uh, very well and hope uh, everybody else is too. Uh, that's a very a, a bigged up introduction. Thank you ever so much indeed for that. Um, I try to be nice. I'm not always nice, I'm fairly sure. I'm sure if you ask my wife, she's, uh, she'd tell you a thing or two. But uh, generally, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's so much easier to be nice to people than it is to get involved with hating and uh, avoiding and all that sort of thing. It's far too much bother. I'm, I'm, I'd much rather give somebody a smile than, uh, than engage them in, in fisticuffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but I know what you're talking about. These are very difficult times. And uh, New Year's Eve was a bit of a letdown uh, for most people, I think, this year. How was your New Year's Eve? Did you uh, throw a few... Uh, as they say fireworks and things or did you what did you do well to be absolutely honest because uh, in the part of germany where i live uh, fireworks were, were banned this this new year's eve um however i broke the law and after uh, much consideration i lit a sparkler on my balcony i wasn't going to let the situation pass without at least a nod uh, in the direction of uh, the the festival of light seeing off the dark winter so uh, hopefully that'll kick COVID's uh, rear end into touch with a bit of luck. Boy, do we need that. Boy, do we need that. I'll, I'll, I'll have to delete the bit about the illegal business. Just <laughs> Phil, um, today we're going to talk about your career, uh, how you came to be a, a match commentator, which is surely a job, you know, uh, that all of us would love to have. Uh, you know, I'm sure that you probably grew up like I did watching uh, Motti, on the BBC and, and, and other commentators and uh, also more recently uh, listening to people like Alan Shearer and so on that are all legends, uh, you know, Shearer's a legend of football. Um, and uh, Motti's a legend behind the microphone. How does someone actually come to become a, a football commentator would be really interesting to know. And then also, obviously, we're here to talk about the Hinderrunde. Um, I don't really think there is an English word. I mean, it's just basically the first half of the German season with the new season kicking off again on Friday. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about some of the highlights of the first half of the season and, um, and then perhaps share with us some anecdotes about uh, the club that we support on this podcast, which is Borussia Dortmund. Um, I know that you're a friend of uh, Stefan Freund, uh, a former BBB player, so... Yeah, should we start with, uh, let's start with you, shall we? So how, how, do you, how does one actually end up becoming a commentator or on the greatest football league in the world? Well, obviously, uh, my grandmother wasn't too uh, happy about it because I had to sell her and uh, the grandmother on the other side and cut one of my own arms off uh, to, to get the job. Um, joking aside, it's, uh, you have to have an amazing amount of luck 
Um, although when we're commentating in the Bundesliga, you don't like to talk about luck so much as uh, having being in the right place, the right time with the right skill set, I suppose, is, is probably the, the easiest way of, uh, of describing it. I, w I had the good fortune to move to Germany um, back in 1994. Didn't really speak much German other than where's the toilet and two beers, please, and so on. Um, but uh, I was working for um, the Deutsche Welle, which is a bit like, for those who don't know it, it's a bit like the BBC World Service. It's a German international broadcaster that um, works both on or radio and television and internet. One of the uh, directors uh, of some of these uh, films was a, a guy by the name of Toby Charles, who, if you ask uh, Americans that follow the Bundesliga of, of any age, um, <laughs> their first exposure to the Bundesliga would have been through Soccer Made in Germany, which came out of the Deutsche Welle back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, and he was one of the commentators there. And we always talked about football. He's a big Borussia Mönchengladbach fan. The, the long and the short of it is they, uh, he, he just turned around and said, they're looking for somebody one day. Um, and he said, with your, you know, uh, with, with what you do and uh, what you know, and I've, I'm somebody who's always played football, still do. Um, and he said, do you think you could do it? And I took 0. 0.0001 of a second to think about it and said, yeah, I'd love to. I did an audition sort of thing and uh, I sort of started the next weekend almost it was it was a very quick very quick thing and I'm quite relieved to hear that it took you from 94 till 2002 in Germany to actually get the job of your dreams you didn't just get it in 1994 not speaking German etc etc that would have just been too great but um, there's hope for us all so um, yeah but basically um, so you get to travel with your job um, where are some of the interesting grounds that you've been to, some of your favourite grounds? And also, um, uh, who have you met? Uh, what's Stefan Freund like? I mean, um, have you met any other Borussia Dortmund uh, legends? Well, uh, we start with the first question. What, what, uh, what stadiums do I like? I suppose you're expecting me to say something like standing in front of the yellow wall with 25,000 uh, behind me is probably one of my favourite uh, football experiences. And you, you'd probably be right, actually. It is probably one of my favourite experiences in football. There, the, the atmosphere at Dortmund is just out of this world. I'm just, you cannot see it here, but I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. It, it, it is a very, very big privilege that we, we have in, in our position as, as commentators and co-commentators that we get to travel. I mean, there are certain, certain grounds that have um, a lot of uh, emotional memory for me. Um, for instance, I did say I can't remember the first game I commented, but I can remember the first time I commentated in a stadium. Yes. Uh, and that was at the, uh, what was then the Esprit Arena in Dusseldorf, was my very first on-site uh, commentary. Going out in 2005-06 to uh, what was the old Hunderttausender Stadion in, in Leipzig, um, where that had been re remodelled for the 2006 uh, World Cup. That, that was a, a, a nice moment to go there, a very big stadium. And the, and the, and the uh, team lineups were still lying around the litter, as it were, in the very top ends of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the stadium in the terraces. And uh, in the in the um, media area, we picked up one with Ghana and somebody else. I can't remember really who it was. World Cup 2006, no doubt. Exactly that. So that, I've got fond memories of that one. Yeah, I love tournament. The very first time I worked with Stefan Freund on site was was at Dortmund for a, a Classica, 
and uh, Stefan is, is is a is a very lovely man, very very down to earth, real. Just you meet him and and spend. If you work with him two or three times, it feels like you've known him forever. Um, very personable, very yeah. enthusiastic. Uh, we get on like a house on fire. But the very first time we met, it was for a Classica in, in Dortmund. And I was there. And, and slightly, I must be a little starstruck to be with somebody who was uh, a European champion in 96 and uh, somebody of his status. I mean, I, I knew who he was from my time in England, I knew, for, or from his time in England, I knew who he was. So uh, I'd, I'd watched him play as well. And then he went, uh, and as we were doing the game, he said, oh, this game, you're gonna have, we're going to have goals, lots and lots of goals. It's going to be brilliant. It was the most boring nil-nil I'd commentated on for months. <laughs> it was absolute, an absolute shocker. So uh, whenever we work together, I always remind him about that. Um, we, we do work together quite often. But it's always yeah. funny. If, it's, if the score's ever nil-nil with 10 minutes to go, I, I start teasing him just a little. Well, they're all out there. The facts and figures are there to, to be found. It's, it's a matter of grabbing hold of a lot of strings and pulling them all together to make one uh, uh, compact statistical Sometimes it's statistics, sometimes it's, it's just his favourite colour is green or uh, like with Thomas Delaney, didn't know if you, if you know that he, when he was playing there, he was colour blind. Um, those, kind of, those kind of inf uh, just little snippets of information that you kind of soak up. The, um, the preparation as such um, is an ongoing thing because like yourself, I'm, I'm a football fan. I, I love watching football from any kind of league you know if, if even if before I started work as a football commentator if I was on a, a business trip to somewhere and you'd arrive at a hotel first thing I'd do is turn on Eurosport and see if there's any soccer on Absolutely. you know it's uh, one of those things we just it's 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 so deep in in our um, DNA you, football when you move countries the the football doesn't change just the names change it, it's still our game that we, we love so much and, and whether they're called Erling Haaland or Vicente uh, Lizarazu, it's, it, it, it's all the same. It's, it's, it's 11 against 11, kicking the ball around, trying to score a goal. And um, that kind of process just continues all the time. So I'm, I'm continually looking on the internet and especially, obviously, if I've got a, like this, this weekend, uh, I've got a Leipzig against Mainz. So anything that's particularly Leipzig-Mainz related, I'll be following that story a little bit more. But then, of course, Leipzig-Mainz this weekend and then the next weekend it's someone else. And if they've played recently, then you've got that. But, and it's all one piece of information kind of lays itself on top of the next. And, and because it's current and useful to you, it stays in your brain. Uh, it, in a way, like I said earlier, which was my first game that I commentated, it's, it's no longer that much of an information, that, uh, a piece of information that I need to hold on to. You uh, crib it up before you go in so that you've got a whole lot of information about the different players and so on. And I do have a cheat board that I make. Oh, you do. You have a yeah. cheat board yeah. with bits of information. Interesting. And, and to be fair, most of the time, the commentators don't actually get it wrong. I mean, they don't actually uh, make too many mistakes about, uh, about the players and their backgrounds and so on. I do. I get it wrong all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, got, I got some wrong just, just before Christmas there. I, um, Michael Richter scored for, for um, uh, Houter against um, uh, some team playing black and yellow. I can't remember. Um, they... Uh, 
And I said, oh, his first goal for the club. Of course, it was. It was like his fourth or something ridiculous. But I just, what happens is, in the heat of the moment, you can sometimes look down and read the wrong number. And a lot of the time with those boards that we all pr produce, you're hoping that you don't need any of the stuff anyway. You're hoping that the game's going to be so good that you don't need to tell everybody that 93% of his passes have been to the left or to the right of the guy in front of him or all of that sort of things. But every, every now and then, you, you know, you look down... You, you make a mistake or very often just by writing the boards out that information goes in and stays in obviously that particular piece didn't and I think you know that is another thing about you you know what do you need to be a commentator I think you have to have a bit of humility and and, and just to own up when you've got something wrong um I, I always try and apologize if I if I realize I've said something wrong and sometimes you do it just spills out uh, in the heat of the moment um but uh, most of the time, I'm hoping that, that people watching uh, uh, will be a little uh, lenient. <laughs> well, and, and funny timing, actually, because we tried to record this show last week, but the gods wouldn't have us do it. And somehow we ended up doing it on the day after the Southampton Football Club uh, of St. Mary's, which you support, are being taken over by a Serbian businessman. So um, I guess that's probably our first hot topic is... Uh, uh, you as a Saints fan, how did you come to be a Saints fan? And what do you think of the takeover by Mr. Oblak, I think his name is? I might have got his name wrong. So, as far as Southampton is concerned, it's where I was born um, and where I grew up and where I basically, like so many people before them, was taken by their grandfather to their first football match. Uh, and from that moment on, I was absolutely hooked and um, stood in, for anybody who's a little bit older um, that remembers the Dell, the original Southampton ground, in, in the chocolate boxes, were, which were sort of prefabricated concrete block. Uh, I can only describe it as possibly a, a huge health and safety <laughs> issue today, but going along there with my with my mates from school on a Tuesday or Wednesday night to watch Ipswich um, those are my formative years um, so yeah Southampton for me I've, I've tried supporting other sides um, Liverpool by default because that's where most of Southampton players end up these days um, I kind of keep an eye on it I mean it's, it's like this if if Southampton can't win the the Premier League then it might as well be Liverpool for me rather than uh, anyone else um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, the takeover. Do you know, I've become numb to them over the years now because football isn't the football that it was when I was 14, 15 years of age, when, when the coaches would be coaches for 10 years plus. Um, and, you know, you'd have the likes of Laurie McMenemy, Ted Bates before him. You know, they were so long in, in the saddle and, and could actually... Yeah, yeah. Shape and form the, the club like they want to. I mean, Christian Streich in the Bundesliga is a fabulous example. Ten years uh, almost to the day that he, he took over down there. And, and he does such a fantastic job for, for Freiburg. But with the, with the limited resources that they've got, um, a new stadium. Uh, I mean, Southampton had the, 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 a similar thing. The new stadium nearly killed us um, because we went so far into debt, 30 million pounds, I think it was. And, and then we got points deducted and we got relegated. We ended up in division three. Um, Down with Pompey indeed, where I studied, I studied in Portsmouth for two years and it was a regular at Fratton Park. And I guess what, I shouldn't tell you this, but I love that place. 
<laughs> well, grounds in England. I'm obviously uh, as a Southampton not only fan but born and bred. You know, we have our we have our issues with with the 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 our cousins down the road. Um, but at the same time, in the same way as uh, Biff Obi and Schalke Nulfia, you've got to have your derbies in the top flight. Having having Schalke in Bundesliga two is not good for anyone. Uh, it, it's 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 just it ruins the whole spectacle. And and uh, as soon as they can sort themselves out, I'll be really happy to see them back in the Bundesliga, along with sides like Bremen and Hanover. And there is so just like the the, the Premier uh, as Premier League as well, and the Conference uh, Championship. Um, the, the I want to call it Division Two. I re- realise that that really puts me uh, uh, that points me out for the dinosaur that I am. Um, yeah, you need your big clubs in the big, like Kaiserslautern. How can they be so far away from from the top flight with a with, with the pedigree that they've got? But it just goes to show you, and you know, it's the modern game is about money, it's about takeovers, it's about uh, shakes and um, billionaires, um, regardless of where they're from. I mean, you know, Mar- Marcus Liebherr. Uh, bailed Southampton out. The, what the Liebherr family did uh, saved our bacon totally and forever grateful uh, to him. He was German originally before he uh, became a nationalised Swiss like his money. Um, right, yeah, yeah, indeed. And um, Southampton have had a lot of owners over the years. They've also had some brilliant players um, and, uh, and some of them, as you say, have transferred to Liverpool like Sadio Mane or Virgil van Dijk. Uh, two of my favourite players, both, um, yeah, which should be players that I, I would imagine you're, you're pretty, uh, pretty uh, impressed by as well. Um, but um, yeah, I've been, I've been to Southampton actually two years ago. Um, I brought, I don't know if you were there actually, uh, were there two or three years ago when they played against Swansea City on the opening match of the season. And um, um, I, I worked in uh, charity for a lot, uh, and I, I, I was doing a project with Big Issue, and I managed to persuade Southampton FC to do the match day program as a Big Issue. And each of the Big Issue salespeople ended up getting a thousand pounds each out of that, which for some of them will have been a deposit on a flat, for others would have been a second-hand car. And um, yeah, uh, uh, 10 of them actually ended up getting jobs uh, working with Southampton as stewards and various other things. So unfortunately, the big issue wanted to go on and do that with Arsenal and various other clubs, but it never really happened. But I'm really proud to say that um, Southampton invited me down for the day with all the big issue sellers. And uh, we got a director's box for the day and the marketing director of uh, Southampton was there and so on. And it was a really, it was a lovely way to combine helping homelessness um, with them. with with a Premier League uh, day. And and, and the best part of all is that the whole idea came from Dortmund, from the Bordeaux magazine, which is the homeless magazine in Dortmund in Bochum. Uh, And they had done a special BVB um, magazine. And then uh, Big Issue said, well, you know, why don't we just do a match day program uh, as a Big Issue? Um, And it was very memorable. Um, I remember... A couple of the players um, went, came down to, to the high street in Southampton, which is a really nice high street. I mean, not, Southampton's a much nicer city than Pompey. Uh, I know any Pompey friends of mine are not going to like me saying that. But, uh, but uh, of course, the University of Portsmouth is far superior. But anyway, let's not get into that. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I thought it was a great initiative and I was really, really proud to see um, the big issue working with the Saints and, and, and good on the Saints as well for being up for helping homeless people in that way. 
were you aware of that initiative? I guess not, probably. Not, not at all. I'm, my, um, I, as I said, moved to Germany in 94. I, I very rarely get to see the Saints live any anymore. Um, winter break was always the, the time when I would come back over uh, to visit my family, who obviously still live in and around Southampton. Um, but the last couple of years I haven't been able to get over. Um, I'm very happy that we have the winter break because otherwise I wouldn't get to see the Saints at all. Um, but what a marvelous, what a marvelous idea! The, uh, the the timeout, obviously, I'm familiar with from my time in in, in the UK, uh, to be applauded, absolutely. And uh, yeah, not just Southampton. Uh, it would be nice if lots of other clubs could uh, do something similar, give it back just a, a little bit. Now, time for a short announcement. If you love Borussia Dortmund, why not join us for a live game and have a couple of Dortmund Union beers? at the Stamtage meetup of the official Borussia Dortmund fan club in London. We meet on match days at the Fitzroy Wine Cellar on Cleveland Street. For more details, head to our Facebook page or give us a call on 07459-394-121. And now, back to the show. Uh, what always happens, um, you, you know, for years, Southampton were technically, on, on paper at least, one of the richest clubs in, 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 in the Premier League. But the owners were not tipping in the bazillions of, of pounds like uh, people like Abramovich did with, with Chelsea. Um, the, uh, the thing is, they'll be there for a while, whether or not they've got ambition or not. This is always the problem. And, and I realise that we're kind of having a bit of a groundhog day here because we've already talked about this once uh, last week. You know, it's kind of like with, with Dortmund and Bayern, the, the prospects at Bayern for a player are probably better if they're regular, playing regularly than they are if you go to Dortmund. Players know that they're going to win things with Bayern and get to finals with Bayern. I mean, it's, it's true of, of Dortmund too, but to a lesser extent, that, that holding power, um, you know, I'm absolutely sick to, to, to my centre that I'm already thinking about when is Bellingham going to go because he is such a brilliant player. He's one of, one of the players most recently that has excited me more than, than, than many others. Um, to, to, to add balance, Jamal Musiala is another great player. He's going to be good as well. But I think in terms of maturity already, as long as, Benning, as, long as Jim Benningham doesn't talk too much about uh, what he thinks about referees and things that gets him into trouble... Um, I, I think he's such such a massive, massive uh, for me future England captain. Um, it's incredible, and his his development. When you think about how he's playing now at his tender young age, he's playing at a level that many of our top midfielders didn't reach till they were twenty five, twenty six, and uh, you know bright future, and you know hopefully no injuries. Um, uh, is that also a risk, though, for a player, though, when basically, I mean, um, and also, I mean, if you think about the sheer volume of matches that he's playing at that age, I mean, there is a risk getting injured, isn't there? I mean, um, certainly, uh, yeah, what do you think? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's some players have, uh, I won't say bad luck, but, but some players are plagued by injury um, and, and some aren't. I mean, if you take Lewandowski, for instance, obviously uh, uh, the best striker in the world, at the moment, for my money, um, Dortmund fans might argue that Erling Haaland is quite quite near, but he hasn't uh, been around for as long. That's for sure. I, well, this is it, you know. And again, this is the thing: Erling Haaland is so very young. Um, 
a goal a game. Uh, it's marvellous, incredible. The boy is loaded with talent. Absolutely massive, massive, massive talent. Extremely exciting to watch, extremely committed. But again, I think there is the... Uh, there is the, the pit, as it were, for, for Dortmund because he is extremely motivated and ambitious and he'll be off soon as well. I, I, it's, it's horrible to think about, but, you know, Dortmund already have to think about who's going to fill, his, uh, fill the shoes there because another season, uh, if we're lucky. So just talking about the Hinderwunder, thank you so much for sharing about your career and also your love for the Saints. And yeah, it was a wonderful project with the big, big issue and I hope they're going to do more of them. So let's just start with FC Bayern. Are FC Bayern in so far in the season that we've seen, are they, uh, are they improved under Nagelsmann? Um, how have the new arrivals um, fitted in, um, specifically uh, Upamecano um, and also um, um, Marcel Sabitzer, and also, um, are they going to run away with it again this season? I always uh, agonise over the fact that it was the zero ninth title uh, that Bayern won in a row um, last season. And you do sometimes think, though, watching them this season, particularly against Eintracht Frankfurt, that they do look more vulnerable than they have done for some time. But then, on the other hand, with uh, Nagelsmann's achievements at Leipzig and uh, Hoffenheim before that. Um, it's pretty self-evident, and indeed Dortmund wanted to take him as a coach. I don't know why that never happened, to be honest. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, we're here to talk about the Hinderrunde. And what do you think about FC Bayern? Well, I think the facts uh, speak for themselves. They're nine points clear. They've conceded less goals than everyone else. They've scored more goals than everyone else. Dortmund can't keep up the consistency to challenge them. Uh, they're playing on Friday night. If, if they lose to Gladbach, who've also got some uh, um, personnel issues. Um, then it's still six points if Dortmund beat Frankfurt, who are seemingly back in the saddle a little bit, had a good November. Um, you, you, we always talk about this, about the, the whole Bayern-Dortmund thing, and it's not how they do against each other, it's how they do against everyone else is, is the problem for Dortmund. They let too many points slip away from them. And we've seen that again this season. Dortmund, for the best, with the best will in the world, just cannot grind out those last-minute victories every week, which Bayern seem to be able to do. And as far as Nagelsmann's... Uh, just, just between you, me and the doorpost, um, I was hoping that this season there would be... Uh, just uh, the Bayern would be a team in transition, new coach, new players coming in, that maybe they'd have a little wobble and would not be so dominant. Um, ten championships titles in a row is, for the league, not what you really want. And, you know, a lot of people say Farmers League. I mean, it isn't really in, in, in any other terms. It's just if you've got one side that has all the resources and all the money they're going to have better options than, than the rest of the teams. You know, Freiburg at the moment in third, what a marvellous season they're having. Uh, they've never been third after Christmas. This is the best season in, in, in living memory for, for their fans. Whereas other kids... Doing an amazing job. And I'm amazed to, to think that he's been there for, I think it's going on 10 years, uh, and has kept them up. And, you know, on a remarkably tiny budget, um, you know... Something like that's almost almost unimaginable in, in, in the Premier League, a team like that managing to stay up in the top tier 
on a, on a budget of about 50 million euros. Um, the only other team that comes to mind in the, in the Bundesliga is Falfe Bochum, which I think, again, have been a massive highlight of the Hinrunde. But let's talk about Christian Streich's team. Um, basically, they've got a, a transfer balance of plus eight million, so they tend to be more of a selling club. And indeed, Dortmund have picked up some great Freiburg players in the past, like Kiel and Bürki, um and quite a few others, and also some. But um, yeah, what what have been the highlights really? You th do you think of Christian Streich's team? I mean, which are the players that for you are outstanding, apart from uh, Nico Schlotterbeck, let's say? Well, obviously, uh, Vincenzo Grifo has been um, a, a big influence for them. He, he, he went, um, he left them, he came back, he left them, he came back again. I think he's finally decided that he probably should just stay where he is. Uh, one of the unsung heroes, of course, uh, is also their keeper, Mark Flecken. He's had more clean sheets than anyone else in the Bundesliga this season. Um, what, they've, what they've really done well is that they've, they've put together a side with no massive stars, but they're all very good journeyman football who know how to play the system. They know what Christian Streich wants of them and, and he will make sure that they deliver. That's, that's, that's another thing. He's one of the most enigmatic coaches in the Bundesliga. Always willing to speak out on social issues as well. Speaks his mind, comes from a very based and solid uh, background and, and for my money also uh, uh, social awareness uh, is, 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 is one of the best in the Bundesliga. So I would certainly say, yeah, the goalkeeper is uh, a big, uh, uh, Mark Flecken's a, a very big positive for them this season. Um, yeah. The thing that uh, bothers me for them is that like Southampton, doing well, it's the worst thing you can do because it basically means an end to your good run because at the end of the season, any of the players that are doing well will and can be lured away by a big paycheck from someone like Dortmund or whoever. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw some salt in there. Um, yes. But, it, but that's, the way, that's the way football works. Southampton's the same. You, they have to accept, or we have to accept, you know, in that period when we were doing well and qualified for the Europa League a couple of times, uh, it gets the attention of the bigger clubs. And, and also... You know, your chances of winning a cup with Southampton, dare I say it, uh, it are a lot less likely than winning with Liverpool. That's my chance of popping in the fact that Pompey are the biggest club on the South Coast. <laughs> they actually have won quite a few more titles than the Saints, Portsmouth um, FC. I'm sorry, I think the network is a little bit weak. <laughs> I, did, I just couldn't hear what you were just saying there. Never mind. We'll, 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 we'll just move on, shall we? <laughs> so moving on swiftly, Farfell Bochum. Um, a marvellous achievement, basically. I mean, really, really, really uh, a, a huge opportunity um, they had coming into the Bundesliga. They've got a fantastic Bundesliga pedigree. Um, they were uh, from the 1980s and 1990s. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't really imagine a Bundesliga without them. Die Grauer Maus aus dem Ruhrgebiet. And uh, this year, Lee Dortmund had something like a, a Ruhr derby, if not a Revier derby. Um, and they've done really, really well with a few basically veteran players like um, Tesha, Pantovic, Danny Bloom, Gerrit Holtmann, uh, you know, players that are basically not that impressive. But at the same time, um, sporting director Sebastian Schindelotz has done a really amazing job. And they managed to run a, a first team, uh, a Premier League uh, Bundesliga even team um, with, 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 with a budget of only 40 million um, and basically with, you know, old BVB uh, cast-offs like Herbert Bockhorn who came from BVB second team and so on. Um, 
and even Reimann uh, is, is an ex-Dortmund uh, uh, player, the goalkeeper, who's also an outstanding talent. But Patrick to- Osterhager uh, as well. Indeed, indeed, yeah. So, I mean, um, basically, um, how do Farfell Bochum do it? Again, I think what their um, strength has been this season is that they have got the, a, a good pick on uh, the players that they've brought in. Again, lots of journeymen, solid players who know their talents and how to use them. Pantovic, for instance, only scores goals 40, 40 yards plus these days. The, uh, the, the ability to hit the target from way, way out uh, has caused and turned more than a few heads. Uh, I'm sure you'll be seeing uh, his, the, those long-range goals as, uh, in, in the uh, goals of the season uh, wrap-up at the end. At the end. Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at their position in the table, they are above Wolfsburg. They are above uh, Gladbach. They are above Stuttgart. They're only one point behind Hertha and two points behind Leipzig at the moment. Um, we were talking about it actually in the uh, today in the pr- production meeting that we, we always have a, a, a production meeting on, on Wednesday to talk about the upcoming games at the weekend and, and what we think are the issues and uh, things that we should bring out uh, in, in our games. And, and we were saying that what is a very interesting, uh, Borchum and Wolfsburg, who... Um, play each other on Sunday, you know, they both got 20 points for Borchum and Borchum fans. That's brilliant. Back in the Bundesliga, 20 points, not in the relegation zone. And for Wolfsburg, 20 points is, they, they'll be kicking themselves. They, should, they, they, they have to be much, much higher. Um, it's all relative. You know, Borchum's tie, uh, uh, aim this season is going to be to stay in the Bundesliga. We all know the second season is going to be the, the 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 real problem because you have to keep that up. But a lot of the time, adrenaline and motivation, and yeah, we're the minnows, and we've only just come up. And of course, when you come up as from from Bundesliga two, you're a side that where everything is absolutely working brilliantly because you've you've got promotion, you're used to winning, you know the guys you're playing around with, and and they brought in a few clever signings. Uh, and, and consolidated what they had last season. They've been also uh, uh, plagued by a few injuries to players like Simon Toller, um, but they're still getting the results and, and, you know, fair play to them for that. Absolutely right, yeah. I mean, I think um, Bochum, you know, they, they, the beauty of them is that basically they're a real genuine uh, powerhouse of the Wurger beat, uh, one of those clubs that just keep, keeps turning it out year after year. But also there are Fahrstuhl Mannschaft, as Delron Buckley, one of their former South African players who I interviewed early on on the podcast, said, you know, a team that like Armenia Bielefeld that keep bouncing up and down uh, between the two leagues, a little bit like Ipswich Town and Norwich City have traditionally you know, been bouncing up and down between the first division and, and the second division or Premier League and uh, Championship. Um, but I think I think one of the key things that Bochum have achieved um, is not only being able to really um, kind of you know monetize the support that they have locally, that incredibly loyal support that they have in the in the region. Um, you know they brought out um, a, a beautiful. Uh, 
anniversary uh, Tricor this season, which did incredibly well for them. Um, but they've also managed to pick up a lot of journeymen, as you say, young players from, from other clubs that are basically have been playing in the under-23s, like the former Dortmund players, like Osterhager and so on, who, you know, Riemann have got enormous amounts of talent, but basically haven't quite cracked it at clubs like Bayern and Dortmund and so on. And that's always going to be a very clever strategy, I think. My, my thinking about Firfer Bochum is also that Thomas Rees was an incredibly... A smart idea by Martin Kray, um, who who's the um, vice chairman there, who happens to be a, obviously a Dortmund legend. He won the Champions League with Dortmund in '97. But Ries came from the VfL Wolfsburg under 19s, and it was just a brilliant spot by them. Um, they've always had a history of having some really really top coaches at Bochum, um, like Peter Neurer in, in the past and so on. But um, moving swiftly on, um, I know that time is. Uh, time is money, especially when you're a top football commentator. FC Union Berlin, Urs Fischer, what a great coach he is, the Swiss coach. And they've got some real jewels in the side. I was very sad to see them lose uh, Nevin Zumotic, who I thought uh, in terms of personality fitted really well with them uh, last year. But um, uh, And he, by the way, is without a club nowadays, which is a bit weird. But talking about real highlights... Um, they've got some real, real quality, and, and none, none less than um, Rami Kadira, uh, whose brother, of course, is a bit of a legend, uh, but also Behrens, Haraguchi, Utsunali, uh, um, Bast Bastian Oksika. Uh, you see, I wouldn't be, a, I wouldn't be a good, uh, I wouldn't be a good commentator because I can't pronounce half the names. Ochipka, Ochipka, yes, former uh, uh, Schalke player um yeah i mean obviously also one of the the big standouts there is taiwo awoni who is uh, having a great season and uh yeah along with max cruz again it's a side with no real massive stars in it but they are uh, a team very very much uh, uh, out on their own in, t in terms of the, they they almost make san Pauli look look mainstream they they are so Cult, they would say in, in Germany. It's 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 such a uh, a unique setup that they have there. They actually get the players together and ask them at the end of the season or mid-season, "Do you think we need another centre back, or um, what should we? Who should we bring in?" It, it, and they 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 choose their players very carefully indeed. Uh, I mean, they have, as you say, over the years brought in some very interesting players and Subotic um, from a Dortmund point of view was a uh, Levin Utstenali as well who is uh, Uwe Zeller's, uh grandson um, so there's some footballing pedigree there and he came in from Mainz um, he's getting more games and and Union I think are one of those sides that just don't realise that no one wants them uh, no one expects them to do well they possibly don't even expect themselves to do well, but they just keep going out there and doing what they have to do. And uh, I, you, you talk about memories, their, their first, first game at the, in the, in, uh, the, that they won in the top flight when they beat Dortmund um, a couple of seasons back. Uh, that, was, that was one I did with Patrick Orvamoyela, uh, also a former Dortmund player, of course. Um, Pat, uh, Patrick wasn't so happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> we commentated that one together. But, you know, their, their position in the table and the fact that they qualified for the Europa Conference League uh, is uh, bears testament to the fact that that's a side that are well put together uh, and Urs Fischer's doing a fabulous job. He's up against his uh, countrymen uh, this weekend uh, in Gerardo Seoane for Leverkusen. 
That's exciting. Yeah, the Copernic and lovely to see them. The own, they, are, they, alongside Tottenham, have been the only real highlight of the uh, UEFA Conference League. And of course, we English fans uh, have uh, associations when we hear the word Conference League with, uh, with what was it? I think it was the fifth tier of English football, the sixth tier or something was the conference, the Vauxhall Conference. So it was a particularly bad choice. But then I think a lot of these tournaments are actually quite Mickey Mouse anyway, the UEFA Nations League. Um, the only highlight of UEFA Nations League is going to be watching England play both Italy and Germany um, this year. But um, never mind. Uh, talking about uh, Mickey Mouse, um, let's talk about some of the teams that have not been doing quite so well this season. Um, and I'm sure that uh, on, on both of our minds, uh, there will be uh, uh, the name Eintracht Frankfurt, um, Eintracht Frankfurt, a stunning uh, team, basically, what, two years ago when they had Freddie Borbic, they had, uh, they had uh, the coach, uh, Adi Hütte, um, that took them to the semi-final of the Europa League against Chelsea, uh, a game which I would have absolutely loved to have gone to, to be, to be frank, a friend of mine did go to it, and I remember going down to the ground, Stamford Bridge, um, on the evening, and the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, and uh, I would have just loved to have seen them. And, you know, I've always had a soft spot, I suppose probably since 2006, um, actually going far beyond back. Lajos um, Detari, when he and Andy Muller both played for Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, and um, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Frankfurt just because they're a very authentic football club. They've got the, the old Waldstadion there that I went to in the 2006 World Cup. I went to watch Brazil against France with Zinedine Zidane's um, penultimate game. Uh, no, sorry, it was the third last game he ever played, and um, I just have very good memories of going to Waldstadion and Frankfurt. And I think they're a really cult club. Um, you know, they've had wonderful players over the years, like Charlie Kerbel, uh, who was the all-time record Bundesliga uh, player in terms of appearances. Um, and they've, they've just turned out, uh, you know, in, incredible talent over the years, and also very raw and genuine. Uh, German football club but at the moment um, basically um, they're doing pretty poorly uh, under the new coach and um, and I think that it's a lot of it's to do with um, not just to do with Oliver Glasner but also just to do with sporting director Markham Kroescher, Markus Kroescher just simply not really picking up the most effective talents and, and, and basically selling good players that end up doing extremely well uh, elsewhere but what do you see as basically the problems with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and, and why have they dropped down apart from Freddy Borbic, which I know is one that we both agree with? Well, I would disagree slightly. I mean, they haven't been doing particularly well. Um, Andre Silva going off to Leipzig, that didn't particularly work out uh, uh, so far uh, uh, for him. Eintracht Frankfurt, currently six. If they win against Dortmund at the weekend, they'll just be four points behind Dortmund. Um, so, you know, it depends how you're ranking the, 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 the season. The season started fairly badly for them. They uh, got bumped out of the cup and, uh, yeah, it took a while to find their feet. But undefeated throughout November, or won most of their games in November, um, I think they've ironed out the problems. They've learned how to... Um, make up for the for the, the fact that silver is gone uh, they had some uh, issues with philip costage was he going to stay was he going to go but they've ironed those all out he's staying those crosses are still coming in but they're not in the same way putting those in for silver because rafael Boré, who's, who's taken over from is a different kind of uh, front man for them so i think it took them their time 
to 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 iron things out and 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 get things moving. But I, you know, I think Dortmund will watch have to watch themselves. I mean, it it might play into Dortmund's favour that there'll be no fans there this weekend, unfortunately, because of the uh, um, pandemic um, rearing its ugly head again here in in Germany. Um, but I I don't think they're doing half as badly as you might think. <laughs> Interesting to hear, certainly. And I think some of the names that you mentioned would be certainly on my list as well. But I guess Antti Rebic uh, and uh, Jovic were both players that uh, at one point were doing really, really incredibly well at, uh, at Eintracht Frankfurt and basically um, Andre Silva also. And, uh, you know, they've had a history of, of selling quite a lot. And uh, I think that, um, that some of the replacements have really not been that successful. But um, where would you see Frankfurt finishing then this season? Because I could see them possibly sneaking into the Europa League, but I couldn't really see them going much beyond that. And I think with the sheer amount of money they've spent, I think they could be, you know, it could be said, could be said that they're basically not as quite as good as, as they were, let's say, uh, two seasons ago, where I, we, I thought they would be up, right up there. Be, I'm just, all I'm saying, I suppose, is I'm disappointed by Frankfurt. I expected them to be better than they are. And they haven't had, had, they have had an inconsistent hindrance, I would say, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, I, uh, absolutely. Um, and I, I think, yes, I think uh, they'll be happy if they get a Europa League place. Uh, they like the Europa League. It, it suits them well. They light it up. They bring... When fans are, are allowed to travel, they, they they bring a good contingent with them. Uh, I, yes, they, they started slowly, but I think they're going along, and it, it's it's a consolidation year for them. They they're making up for you know Adi Hutter's gone and uh, Freddie Borbich has gone. There's changes, um, and you know if they finish in the Europa League places, I think they'll they'll pat themselves on the back and say, yeah, we did all right this season. Um, and you, you were talking about uh, teams expected to do better. I think that gives us a lovely segue in, into the, the teams that are doing worse. Wolfsburg and Mönchengladbach, those two sides. Um, just a, a season and a half ago, uh, or a year and a half ago, I was talking to Max Abel at the beginning of the season, thinking, say, you know, with the squad that you've got, I'm expecting big things from Gladbach. And uh, then all of a sudden... When everything was going very rosy indeed, Marco Horser turned around and said, I'm off to Dortmund. Sorry, don't care about you guys anymore. And then the team just collapsed and has spiralled out of control with one little uh, highlight of beating Bayern 5-0 in the cup uh, to kind of uh, set things off. Um, but they're 14th in the table. They got smacked by Köln in the derby. And as, as anybody knows, getting... It was one thing losing a derby 1-0 to a last-minute uh, header in from a corner, but but to really be outplayed over 90 minutes and lose 4-1 is is a massive... It's almost, almost as bad as losing a 4-0 lead at half-time. But I'm sure I won't win myself many fans for <laughs> mentioning that one. Well, Dortmund has a history. I remember going to watch Dortmund against Paderborn, uh, and then it was 3-0 half-time. And uh, it ended up 3-3. It was two seasons ago. So, um, But then, uh, yeah, that was the same week that we then went on to Barcelona and lost 3-1 there. But watching Messi, I have to say, 
uh, and may he soon recover from his COVID, uh, along with Jurgen Klopp. Oh my God, that COVID business. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a very stressful time. But I mean, the problem I think with FC, uh, with uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach is that they've also got expiring contracts. Matthias Ginter, Dennis Zakaria, Keenan Bennett, Patrick Herrmann. Um, you know, they've got a lot of expiring contracts. I don't think that um, things are going that well. I mean, obviously, they're not going that well. And I couldn't really see them... Um, Ebal is someone I've always been incredibly impressed by, just for his ability to uh, basically buy in some really outstanding players over the years. Um, and a guy like Marcus Turam, for example, uh, you know, I'm really surprised. I mean, I would have thought that he would have been a perfect target for Dortmunds um, at the end of the day. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, Denis Zakaria, I think, is very high on Dortmund's list. And it always pains me enormously to see guys like Matthias Ginter and also Hoffmann, Jonas Hoffmann, um, in the first team at Gladbach and to think that they're both Dortmund cast-offs. Well, they... really... How does so... that happen? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you're quite right. I mean, you, you, you're mentioning all these players. and We, we should mention Florian Neuhaus as well, um, as well as Patrick uh, Turam. If Gladbach get relegated, and it may be a possibility, they've got 19 points at the moment, they're 14th, they're just two points off the relegation playoff place. Uh, you know, a lot of these players are only going to have contracts that are good for, for, Bundes, for the Bundesliga and not for Bundesliga too. So there'll be a fire sale at Gladbach. There might even be... A lot of pl uh, players wanting to jump ship before that happens. Um, that, you know, I think it, come the summer, there's going to be some very interesting developments at Gladbach. They even uh, need to turn the ship around real quick right now, or they're going to be in a lot of deep water. I'm going to quickly step over the Parfel Wolfsburg because uh, along with uh, they're, they're not the most popular club in the Bundesliga, although I do honour them uh, eternally for uh, signing uh, the, the English coach. Uh, what was his name again? Uh, McLaren. <laughs> McLaren back in the day. He didn't do that well, though, did he? But they've had a few English players over the years. Um, talk about uh, RB Leipzig. Um, I was really excited to see um, Jesse Marsh come in. Um, and indeed, he'd been talked about as being a potential Dortmund coach, which... Every English-speaking uh, fan would love to have seen an, an English coach at B4B. Um, you know, B4B, one of the most exciting clubs. And definitely the team that we have to then speak about um, in, in closing on the show. But um, I'd love to hear a few recollections as well as your impressions of B4B this season, which is eternally frustrating for most Borussia Dortmund fans, frankly, that we just don't have the checkbook to play to Bayern's standards. Uh, one must always remember that Bayern has a... 30% bigger salaries than Dortmund. So, you know, we might be the second biggest club, but being second is never good at anything, really. RB Leipzig, I expected them to be uh, right up there. I think uh, it's not very long ago that they finished second in the season. I think, was it uh, last season or the season before? They got to the DFB Pokal final where they got trumped by Borussia Dortmund in quite a heavy way. I think it was 4-1 in the end. Uh, and... Um, Basically, RB Leipzig um, have looked like an exciting team. They've looked like a team with a, a massive amount of um, potential, uh, good following, enormous budgets. Um, and uh, they've signed some extremely good players, but they've also completely imploded this season and sold some of their top players, as I mentioned before, to FC Bayern for Alam. Um, but even really quite good players like Benjamin Heinrichs, for example, uh, are actually not playing this well that well at the moment. Um, and I don't, I don't really know why RB Leipzig are actually doing so, so badly. But talking about potentially good players for B4B, 
Marcel Halstenberg, the left back, could be had for somewhere around 10 million, I think. And he would be an extraordinary guy to take Nico Schulz's position, uh, which is basically ne neither Leonardo Balerdi nor Nico Schulz have done well enough to be able to, to be able to fill that left back position at Borussia Dortmund. But let's just talk before we get on to BFB. Let's briefly talk about um, the problems at um, RB Leipzig. Um, and, and, and then and there, there we have that uh, former Eintracht Frankfurt player, Andre Silva, who I expected to be doing so much better. I think they've, they've had a lot of problems this season. A, they, um, before they even uh, lost Nagelsmann, they knew that Upamakano was going to buy. And that, that was a deal that was done before uh, Nagelsmann left. Then Sabitzer went as well. Um, Timo Werner's been gone for, for quite some time. They haven't had the kind of results that uh, all of us would have, would have been expecting. Jesse Marsh came in. They took a bit of a punt on him. It was a step up coming up from Salzburg, but it's, it's through that RB um, franchise, as it were, um, that he's been kicked on a level and, and it hasn't worked out for him. You know, with the depth of squad that they've got, I agree. I would have expected them to be much, much, much uh, better off, but it hasn't been clicking. And, and, and again, to be fair to them, they've had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of um, COVID problems, um, injuries to Yusuf Paulsen, uh, injuries to Hausenberg, uh, as, as you say. You know that that can sometimes knock sides back as well. I mean, we go back to Gladbach, Denis Zakaria had a nasty injury a uh, season or so back and it's taken him a long time to get back to the point that he was at before he got injured and, and which I think he has has got back there now and he's an absolute monster for them in the midfield um, the, the, yeah the thing about uh, uh, Leipzig is they are like Bayern uh, a team in, in transition uh, but for them it's gone the other way Bayern have just kicked on and, and continued doing what they were doing because because yeah. that's what Bayern do. It's 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 part of their their DNA. Uh, but Leipzig, there's almost a part of me that feels that possibly the bosses have got less uh, behind the team's not the right word. But the when they first arrived on the scene, obviously a lot of controversy about where they get their financing from. Um, Lots of people talking, you know, similar to Leverkusen and, and, and Hoffenheim about the whole, where does the money come from, 50 plus one, um, which is a, another uh, whole set of issues. This season, I think that they are in trouble. And I, I would go so far as to say that, you know, if, if they can get themselves into the Europa League... They they will be uh, they will be doing well. I mean, Domenico Tedesco coming in, um, former Schalke man, obviously. Um, yeah, I know you're impressed by him. <laughs> he wasn't that bad, to be fair. He did take Schalke to the Champions League, so he wasn't wasn't that bad actually. But no. he has been sort of you know I don't know where he's been the last time, Russia or something. He has been off uh, on his travels, yeah. But I mean, you know, he's still finding his way there. I I, I just don't. Going out on a not so uh, thin limb. Uh, I, I don't think this is Leipzig season. I'd, I'd correct me uh, come oh my the God. end of May if 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 you will. But I I don't I don't see them. I, I I wouldn't put them down for the Champions League this season. Which actually leaves a very interesting um, 
lead on to who you do see in the Champions League. I mean, I'd see Dortmund and Bayern, obviously, they've got their two numbers uh, dialed up there. But um, who else might... Uh, I think, you, you, I think you're, you're hinting at Eintracht Frankfurt might be able to get that fourth spot. Is that what you're saying? I would certainly mention uh, another team that is not very popular with uh, Dortmund, uh, and that's Hoffenheim in fifth. They are very quiet, very dark horses at the moment, but they are in fifth on goal difference, one point behind Freiburg in third. If they keep up, I mean, they've had some very canny uh, uh, signings as well. Chris Richards across from Bayern. Uh, Sebastian Hernes, there's a name to, to, to conjure with. You know, he's you talk about football pedigree. He's loaded with it too. Um, I'd think a bit of a dark horse for a possible fourth place finish there. And Leverkusen, of course, if they could just get their consistency going, although that seems to be a common thread throughout the Bundesliga, but it is particularly, um, you know, the, 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 the moniker Neverkusen is, is, is rather apt, you know, if the hat fits, wear it, because they, they play brilliantly like gods for three games and then they get beaten 1-0 by bottom of the table side the next and, and, and struggle to get anything out of mid-table uh, opposition in the next two games. It's If they could just crack that consistency thing, I think that they've got an exciting squad. Um, players like um, Moussa Diaby, uh, Patrick Schick scoring more goals in the first half of the season than any other Leverkusen player before him. You know, all this speaks for them. Uh, I, I would certainly... I would hope that Freiburg could uh, hang on for a Europa League place, but um, th I think uh, that might be asking a lot of them. Leverkusen and Hoffenheim would be my uh, other two Champions League, probably, uh, uh, position yeah. three and four. Absolutely. And I think uh, another interesting player there, you mentioned Hoffenheim, is Andre Komaric, who I think could be interesting for B4B. I think he's got loads, uh, loads more potential than, uh, and, and lots more to come from him. But um, but also Angelo Stiller has also been a great signing for Hoffenheim, and uh, and he's yeah, coming on. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have so much antipathy partly because they signed Jakob Brunlarsen from B4B, which I think Dortmund were quite keen to offload at the time. Um, and so yeah, so they have my eternal gratitude for taking Brunlarsen off B4B. Let's come on to Borussia Dortmund. That's a very, very nice prognosis. And then after we do the B4B, I'll ask you very briefly about relegation candidates. Um, and I think a couple of them are pretty, pretty dead certain, dead weights, uh, because one of them looks like probably ending up being even worse than Tasmania, Berlin. But um, yeah, B4B. Uh, we couldn't uh, get away with not talking about B4B. But uh, yeah, what do you think of Borussia Dortmund? I mean, I'll tell you straight up, um, I think Marco Rosa is doing a great job. In my opinion, Gregor Kobel uh, is the big difference. He's the one that's basically get, added another, uh, probably another five or six points to us because we've just basically had this massive improvement of goal over Oman Burki. Um, as, as, as amiable as Burki is, I really do hope he gets that uh, contract at Saint-Étienne that he's rumoured to be getting or even Karabakh he certainly needs to be somewhere because he wasn't that bad he was just a little bit inconsistent but at the end of the day I think Dortmund have been a very unlucky um, they've had injuries to Giovanni Reina, Rafael Guerrero, Yusuf Makoku who really hasn't had a chance to shine in, 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 in the attack so far I don't think Daniel Marlin's been doing that well basically I don't, I don't think I think don't think anybody disagrees with me that three goals isn't enough so far but then he you know he can take his time to fit into the team 
I think you need to give him time. I think, you know, Lewandowski's first season wasn't the best. Um, no, no. I so... mean, that, that's nice that you remember that. That is coming you know, when he came from, from uh, what was it? Uh, Vrisla Krakow. Was it Vrisla Krakow? Talking to yourself, I, I'd love to hear what you think, because my opinion is basically that Dortmund need to sign a good right back, a good left back, and also, they need to replace Axel Witzel uh, in 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 defence in midfield, and particularly focus on defensive midfield. Um, and Denis Zakaria would be a player that I would see very very well fitting into the Borussia Dortmund side. But um, another interesting candidate at the moment is Karim Adeyemi, um, the striker of RB Salzburg. But what do you see as the basically the issues at Borussia Dortmund? Um, you know, I'm very, very close to the action, I guess, to actually be able to give an independent view of it. But, I mean, it is eternally disappointing, basically. Um, and if we win the UEFA Cup, the Europa League this season, I will be absolutely satisfied that this season has been a cracking season. But it's eternally disappointing to see the way we play beautifully on some games and then we basically screw it up against the little minnows like in the past couple of seasons, Nuremberg, Fortuna, Dusseldorf, Paderborn, uh, you know, as you said before, Mainz, Nullfumpf, etc., etc. Uh, we just don't manage to ride out the results. Um, but that's, that's been going on for a couple of years now, the weaknesses and set pieces, you know, the... Um, the inability to defend, basically. I, I really perceive um, the fact that we just don't have um, a strong enough defensive midfield and a strong enough back uh, centre-back uh, set-up. And I think also Mats Hummels is getting slower. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. What do you think the weaknesses are? Because I guess talking about V4B is kind of the highlight of this show on any, on any podcast. Well, I think you've pointed out pretty much everything I would have said anyway. I think you've, you've covered most aspects. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, let's go through. Kerbal is an improvement on, on Roman Berkey. Um, there's no doubt about that. And I agree, you know, he's adding points to, to the season. I think in the middle, Mats Hummels, uh, his heading ability is worth keeping him for, for just for that and his ability to play a ball forward, uh, his experience, uh, his knowledge, maturity. These are all pluses. Yes, what you really need is a young Max Hummels because he's not the fastest anymore. He needs somebody alongside him that will watch his back. Outside of those, the two, the two uh, left and right backs, I, I agree totally. Um, I, I think there has been no... Nobody's really stamped those positions as theirs and, and, and is a must-pick every weekend. I think uh, Marco Wars has got his work cut out there. Um, I think also a, a problem with Dortmund is the same thing that I've been doing. I'm guilty of doing it as well. Is my preoccupation with Bellingham and Haaland, knowing that they're going to be going and what are you going to be doing after that, needs to be possibly cleared uh, that this is going to happen and then everybody can concentrate on what, what's, what's needing to be done at the time. I agree. Axel Witzel is possibly... Uh, an area where, um, or that particular area is where Zakaria could come in and, and, and certainly do a job for you. Uh, you know, Azar, Royce, both, um, you know, injuries, 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 Guerrero, great player. But in the way they play, they get cooked be because they're right in it and uh, they're, they're, they're making people lunge at them and trying to skip the challenges. That's that's also part of the uh, uh, of football. Um, 
yeah it's 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 difficult to to say exactly where those players are going to come from obviously not my not my job to do but uh, I, I would agree pretty much uh, um 100% with what 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 you were saying you know the 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 will is there but the the material is 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 lacking and and also injuries Giorena, Mukoko, these are very very talented players but if they're in physio uh, getting re repaired, uh, they can't help the team. A big mistake, I think, was not buying uh, Hakimi, Ashraf Hakimi, who's ending, who's, who's, who was recently uh, one football's uh, uh, top, uh, top 20 player of the year. And I think that he, he is, was absolutely at a 40, even at 40 million, which would have been Dortmund's record signing. I think he was a player worth keeping, especially because he was very much loved in Dortmund. But I think the key issue is that whilst um, Akanji has improved a lot, um, he's still not quite uh, a good enough uh, centre-back for Borussia Dortmund. He's still fallible, um, unlike some of his performances for Switzerland. And at left-back, um, Rafa Guerrero is just too precious going forward to play him for the left-back position he plays for Portugal national team. Um, and he's, you know, he's just too much needed going forward. So I think the key issue is basically is that Borussia Dortmund have an unbalanced team, uh, too many young players without talent, and, oh, sorry, without talent, <laughs> who don't have the experience um, and enormous bags of talent they have. Um, and at the same time, we don't have enough routiniers, really sort of Stammspieler, uh, guys which would be theoretically people like Marcel Schmelzer or Mats Hummels and so on, um, you know, well, we often, we, sorry to interrupt, we often find ourselves talking when, during games about the fact that because they're such a young side, which makes them so exciting and explosive, and you can see the bonds they have with each other, with Rayner and Haaland and Bellingham, and, but what they haven't got is that maturity, that, that ability, that tenacity to bite at the end of a game when they're a goal down and turn it round. And that's something that I've always associated with, with the Dortmund uh, uh, sides of old is, Dortmund are a side like Liverpool. They will play until 90 plus six if they have to. And there's always the chance that they're going to get that last, and that's what last goal. Moment. And, and we've ended up winning the fair play uh, award for the season three, four years in a row. And you know what? We need more Schweinehunde. We need more bastards in the team. Guys like Dede, Gunter Kutowski, Matthias Sammer, Sammer. Martin Kay, Guys like those who are absolutely you know, will get stuck in at the very last minute and will make... Stefan Freund, should I say there? Stefan Freund, absolutely. We're on the <laughs> same page. Dortmund will end up second this season and they'll win either the DFB Pokal or the Europa League, I think. But um, it's heartbreaking for a lot of Dortmund uh, fans to see the team not quite up there yet. Uh, and uh, for me, trust me, it's the hardest thing in the world writing reports, uh, writing articles about me for me because at the end of the day, all I can say is they're still not good enough to take on FC Bayern München. Let's talk um, in any serious way. Let's talk about the bottom uh, relegation. And then just lastly, I'd like to ask you about BT Sport losing the coverage of the Bundesliga. Um, but coming to relegation, I think there's going to be absolutely no doubt. Um, Greuther Fürth are probably the worst uh, promoted team we've seen in, 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 in decades in the Bundesliga. But who will go down with Goethe, who I see going down as 18th? Um, I don't think it's going to be FC Cologne. I think that um, VfB Stuttgart are going to be struggling. And I, I hate to say it because I love the fact that Armenia Bielefeld have picked up Gonzalo Castro, who I happen to know is an incredibly nice person. I've met him a few times. 
And I think it cost Castro um, was not getting enough playtime at RFB Stuttgart. And he really deserves to be at Armenia. And he's going to be the big, big, big difference. But Armenia are also a really congenial team. I went to watch them against BVB uh, in October. And I really enjoyed that. And coincidentally, uh, I was with Norbert Eilenfeld that day, who I did an interview with. And he ended up with us in the Yellow Wall. Do you remember Norbert Eilenfeld? You don't? Well, that's one to look up. Norbert Eilenfeld. <laughs> Um, 500 Bundesliga matches in the 1980s. The guy was an absolute legend. He was the first million Deutschmark player for Kaiserslautern. Ah, well, there you have me, you see, because my, my, my Germany experiences really didn't start till about the turn of the, the <laughs> millennium back in, uh, like, 2000, when I really started paying attention. ...about the Bundesliga. So, who's going down with Kreuterfurt? Um, at the moment, because it is very, very tight all the way down, when you think that there are 10 points between the relegation playoff where Stuttgart are and sixth-placed Europa Conference League where Frankfurt are, that opens the, the field for... You, know, it, you say you don't think Köln or Mainz or how to... If they, if, they, if they get a spell of losing three or four in a row, which can happen to any Bundesliga side... Uh, they might find themselves looking over their shoulder. There's a lot of big clubs down there as well. I would say, though, that the standard money is the sides that uh, would, would be on the sides that expect to go down or, or hope they don't, but hope they get a second season. Um, Fjord, obviously, um, with five points after 17 games, you've got to be saying this is... They've come up, they're having a good tour around the Bundesliga and they'll be back down into Bundesliga 2 next season. Bielefeld, though, 16 points. And then it's 17, 18, 19, a couple on 20, 21. You know, they're not out of the picture yet. In the, in the same way that, theoretically, should Bayern lose on Friday and Dortmund win at the weekend, there's only six points then. And it, the, the title, well, race isn't really the word, but the, the title is still there to be discussed. I don't think Bayern's ever given up a nine-point lead at, at the top of the table, but let's not go there. More more painful areas for, for black and yellow supporters. <laughs> but, um, but, but I would I would have thought Bielefeld, and then it could be one, yeah, one of either. I mean, Stuttgart, they've got players, they've had issues. I mean, every, who who doesn't have issues throughout a season? I suppose it's it's a bit blasé of me to say, oh, well, they've got injuries and 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 the pandemic. Everybody's got the same problem. Um, more players getting hit, more players allowed to play as well. So I, I, that's one of the things that has been, for me, a positive out of the whole pandemic is that we get to see five subs. I know some people don't like it, but in the Bundesliga, I think it's brilliant. You bring on the, the young players, they get experience, and that is only going to improve the pot later on uh, when you've got younger, more experienced players. We were talking about Bellingham earlier on. But I think Augsburg have to be careful, although they've just uh, signed this new uh, wonder kid from America. Um, but uh, whether or not he has a, an impact... I've missed that one. Uh, uh, Pepe, I think he's called. Uh, he's coming in from... Uh, from from the MLS. Uh, more on that later. I'm, I'm, I'm I haven't really dealt with that myself yet. But um, Augsburg, Bielefeld, Kreuterfurt, VfB Stuttgart could be. But then you could also find a big side in the in the in the uh, in the mix there. Gladbach could be down there. Hertha Berlin have got big Hertha. big yeah. ambitions, but they they they're not finding any consistency. I mean, obviously they had that. What could have been for them a massive game, the win against Dortmund, um, could have just stoked the fires enough to, to see them go in the other direction now. They certainly have got some good players. 
they need to uh, rearm as well, as it were. But I don't think the winter uh, transfer period's the place that they'll be doing that. Um, so I would say Fjord and then any three from two of Augsburg, Stuttgart and Bielefeld, where they are right now, is, is probably because they deserve to be there. But you might just find one of the big boys down there, either Wolfsburg, Gladbach or, or, or Hertha, possibly. I agree with you, Phil, and you've been an absolutely phenomenal guest. Um, and uh, you certainly are an encyclopedia football. I won't dear us the Hugel name that you don't remember, Norbert Eilenfeld, but I'm quite sure that when you do read up on him, that you will be very impressed. And he was our last podcast guest. So I'm just going to. Oh, right. Well, episode 41 was uh, with Norbert Eilenfeld. So you're in good company. We've had Felix Götze. Uh, a very talented, uh, well, you obviously know Felix Götze, Elstiefs Kaiserslautern, yep. um, who played for FC Augsburg and FC Bayern München before that, but incidentally was in the Borussia Dortmund Academy for several years. Uh, the brother of Mario, we had him on episode 40. Um, and we've also had Sunday Olise on the show, uh, who was an incredible guest. Uh, we've also had... Uh, uh, Andre Bergdolmo, Niklas Jensen, lots of football legends uh, on, on this show, Delron Buckley, and so so it's well worth listening to some of the old podcasts. Um, and uh, we always try to oscillate between uh, the past, you know, past players, coaches um, of BVB. We had Bert van Marwijk on the show, and then people who, like yourself, like Rafa Honigstein, uh, or also Christoph Zimmermann, the Norwich City player, or Mario, or uh, Felix Götz, etc., who are still playing their football now. So, yeah, I like to think that it's a really interesting podcast that basically covers football developments now and football developments uh, with BBB in the past and so on. But we couldn't get away with finishing off the show by basically talking about uh, Bundesliga coverage in the UK. So if we could just, for a couple of minutes, talk about Sky winning the contract and how they've basically... Uh, well, I mean, they've very much uh, relegated Bundesliga to being a, a secondary issue uh, in, in the UK and on football coverage. And, uh, and it's pretty disappointing because BT Sport, let's face it, they were doing an absolutely amazing job, not just because they had Rafa Hornigstein on the show, but um, basically because at the end of the day, um, they were showing almost all the Bundesliga matches live. And I can say for sure, having run a, a, a Bundesliga fan club in England for the last almost 10 years, that, uh, you know, having Bundesliga on telly, it made a huge difference. I mean, but I have to say at the same time, the Bundesliga have had problems because they've had contractual problems in India. They lost the contract with BN Sport in Qatar and the Gulf. And so the worldwide coverage generally of Bundesliga has been fairly weak uh, this season compared to um, previous seasons. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think Sky has an enormous amount of ambition at the moment. And it's partly to do with Bayern, basically, just killing off the interest. Um, one of the comments you always get running a um, you're writing about the Bundesliga is, oh, Bundesliga, boring, boring Bayern. You know, at the end of the day, um, I think the Bayern are something like the Nationalmannschaft of the Bundesliga. And I think they get all the support of the Bundesliga in terms of, you know, any German fan watches Bayern when they're playing in the Champions League and doing really, really well, um, as long as their own club is not involved in it. But at the end of the day, it is absolutely true, isn't it, that nine or ten titles in a row makes the Bundesliga basically pretty predictable. Um, and I think that it could be argued that Sky basically have just bought the Bundesliga rights as a kind of, just something to kind of park and just wait and see if Borussia Dortmund or RB Leipzig 
at some point in the future are back challenging and it becomes an interesting league to watch again. I mean, I love this league. I absolutely love it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing a PhD about it. But at the end of the day, I think that the coverage in England is suffering a lot and it's partly just to do with the fact that English fans are not that enthused by developments right now. What's your view? Well, I t- you know, I think you've probably yeah, got a load of very, very valid points in there. Um, Thank you. It depends. It depends how you see it. I mean, broadcasters generally are responsible for broadcasting the rights that they have purchased. Um, the, I think the Bundesliga has got a total right to say, you know, the rights to broadcast our product are cost so and so much, and if nobody takes them up then they either have to say, oh, well, we'll sell ourselves cheaper or they have to say, no, we'll have to wait until somebody comes in. I mean, I know that's an issue, been an issue in some uh, places like India and uh, there was another uh, area as well. Obviously, this is nothing really to, yeah. to do with my uh, area of expertise. I have no real overview of, of who gets what and how much costs, uh, how much it costs. So I'm, I'm really probably just talking off the top of my head about the whole thing. Um, but I do, I do get the feeling that um, people were very happy with the, the way BT Sport, they were handling some of the big games, they'd have their own commentators, others they'd use the world feed commentators like myself uh, and, and our co-coms on them, which for us as well, as, well, uh, as the world feed um, commentator crews, that, that's also being taken by your mother country, as it were, um, uh, as a commentator and being put out across the UK uh, is, is a nice thing to, to, to actually sort of have that sensation that, that what you're doing is acceptable in the English language, because very often, you know, we have to remember that when we're doing a, a world broad, uh, world feed broadcast, we, we're, we're broadcasting people whose uh, first language is not necessarily English. So it's, it's going out to Indonesia, uh, um, Malaysia, the Arab, uh, uh, Far East, Middle East, there's, there's, and Africa. So there are a lot of play, people that, there that are not f- first language uh, English, it's second language or, or, or even third language. So a lot of the time, we're not particularly catering to Mother England. You know, it's, it, it, it's not, the Bundesliga is not aimed at English people in England or, 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 or native speakers in England. It's, it's, it's a world product. So when a, a company like BT Sport take it on and then do their own thing with it. That that's that's grand. But the 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 fact that Sky have taken it so that they can this is just my own personal opinion. So they can go look at the offering that we have. We can give you this. We can give you that. We've got all this stuff. But they bought it and they don't really particularly know what to do with it because there's so much other stuff. And they, of course, they want to funnel everything into the, the 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 domestic product which is the the premier league because they want people watching that because the advertisers will pay more money to be on that than they will to be on uh, you know the half time between Mainz and Bielefeld um <laughs> yes that would have to be one of the worst games you could possibly sell to advertisers <laughs> that's Yeah.